coming up my shocking stat. I've got a couple of goofy awards for you, but right now, very pleased to have with me the chief strategist for Davis Ray. John Johnston is my guest. And just another reminder is uh, this guy's track record with us has been uh, brilliant. Uh, was absolutely there when this was absolutely not the consensus, saying that, hey, be careful, above par, Canadian dollar going to 70 cents. Well, we just keep on chugging down to 75 cents right now. In a moment, I'll check with John where he thinks that's going. But first of all, John, thanks for taking the time with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about a little bit macro stuff here first. Um, again, about a couple of weeks ago, we had the Bank of Canada come out, reduce their growth forecasts uh, down to 1.1%. I think it is for 2015, 2% for 2016. The bottom line is this. is that we're, One of the things I think that politicians haven't wrapped their heads around, at least the pro, their forecasts haven't, is that we're in a deflationary environment. We're in a very slow growth global environment, and I don't think Canada's going to buck that trend. No, actually, you know, you have to think about what's causing that low, trend, low growth trend, and it's the fact that there's this huge overhang of debt, uh, and you have countries that have gone through crises that are still reducing their debt in relation to income. Uh, and Basically, Canada is still increasing it. So at the end of the day, when Canada starts to deal with its debt load, we're going to be lagging the other countries very badly. I think that as we look out over the next 10 years, we're in a slow global growth environment, and it's one in which Canada is going to be one of the poor performers. Well, again, I don't, I'm not putting words in your mouth. This is me saying this, but I yeah. still think our political class has not grasped this environment, and they continue to make massive policy mistakes by putting in anti-growth policies at a time when they should be desperate for growth. And I just don't see it happening. And, of course, it reverberates throughout the economy. We just saw it in Alberta. Look at the hit their revenues take, uh, you know, when they have this problem in, in the oil sector. Uh, things can change just so darn quickly. Absolutely. And I'm incl- like, the politicians don't wear a great badge of honor here, but I think the central bankers don't get it either. And in many, and I say this as an economist, but the economics profession doesn't get it. You look at uh, the forecast coming out of most of the mainstream economic shops and reflected in the consensus of forecasts is that every year it's going to be great, and next year will be better, and the year after will be better, and then it's not, and they say, well, it's just, there was this factor, that factor this year, but next year will be better. They keep pushing it out. Their growth forecasts keep coming down. You know, we have one of the worst – economic forecasting is difficult at the best of times because you're, you're involving, you know, billions of humans on the face of the earth and their behaviors, but I don't think there's ever been a period of such bad economic forecasting as for the past seven years. And I would say, though, it's sorry, John, I was just going to say it fundamentally starts with misunderstanding this environment. I don't think it's I I couldn't agree more that you're looking at uh, zillions of variables. That's why I laughed during the Canadian election when they're saying we're electing someone to control the economy, to manage the economy. I said, really, 34 million consumers in Canada. Oh, we need the U.S. to buy our exports. Let's throw in another hundred three hundred twenty million purchasers of our exports. Oh, let's throw in one point three billion people in China because we need them to buy our resources. I mean, it's a laughable thing, but I still think they haven't got this sort of overlay, and the overlay is declining commodity prices, and that's, you know, there's no sign of that reversing, and you're so right when you say it. I looked at the Federal Reserve. They've started every year since 2011 predicting 4% growth, and of course, as we know, it's, that's been laughable, and you get the serial downgrades there. Yeah, and one of the things is that is that most economists, and I was one of them for many years, uh, don't properly incorporate balance sheet effects. Is that mm-hmm. when you build up too much debt, 
like it creates lots of great upside surprises in growth and corporate profits and asset prices when you're building up the debt loads. And we saw that through the 90s and the 2000s. But when you when debt gets too high and then it starts to roll over and people go into deleveraging mode, you get a long period of downside surprises. And you can't re-stimulate the economies by you know low interest rates, trying to get encourage people to borrow more doesn't work because people have already borrowed too much. You can't fix the problem by creating more of the problem. And, yeah. and I think that we're in a real pickle. Yeah, and I, and I think your, your other point you're making I want to uh, reemphasize is these are long-term problems. We, team, we seem to think in terms of like that V, you know, the V bottom, and then it comes right back, and that's what they were looking for for oil. I still think, for example, in the Alberta budget, they're optimistic when they look at oil prices there. Again, what are going to be the drivers of pushing oil prices up 40% uh, over the next couple of years? I don't see it out there. I don't see any huge increase in demand. We haven't had a big down uh, down. Uh, move in supply numbers so what's where's it coming from yeah it's a good question i think that the adjustments are happening you, you have a period of high prices which takes care of itself yep. by stimulating you know supply and killing demand and now we're in a period of low prices which is doing the opposite so i think the adjustments are starting they're probably putting a floor under oil prices so we're probably you know if we haven't seen the bottom, it's not too far off what we saw before. But it's probably a bit early to be talking about a rebound. And, uh, uh, and but yeah. I think we're, we're going to see oil prices fluctuate with the global economy over time in a range that's much lower than we've gotten used to. You know, at some point, if the global economy reaccelerates and that demand picks up, sure, oil prices could go back up to 75 or 80. But once, you know, growth starts to cool off again, they're going to come back down because that'll attract a lot of supply, which seems to be able to be turned on rather quickly these days, certainly quicker than it was in the past. I think that's a key component, by the way, that puts a ceiling on things, because as soon as we get north of, say, 60, you're going to get a lot of fracking operations back in play. So what remains to be seen, but the point being the overall, the overlay is it's a weak environment there. And let's come to one other aspect here, because uh, interest rates, of course, are so dynamically impacted by this. And again, no sign really of any, well, certainly in Canada, there's no sign of upward movement in rates. Uh, Again, the talk's been back and forth in the U.S., but I don't see anything big happening there. No, I think one of the biggest failures of the economics profession and the forecasters is every year rates are going to go up because everything is great, and rates aren't going up. And if you look at past cycles, when you had the same type of problem you have in the global economy and in the Canadian economy now, these things stay down for years. And I think it's really, you know, maybe the Fed is going to raise rates once or twice at some point, but beyond that, uh, I don't think they'll be able to get away with it. We're already seeing financial conditions tighten as a result of them scaling back their uh, bond purchases. So uh, there's no case here for a sustained increase in interest rates everywhere. If anything, in Canada, I still think the risk over the next 12 to 24 months is that interest rates come down rather than go up, because I look at the Bank of Canada's forecast, and I still think they're optimistic even for next year and the year after. I'm uh, below them on their growth forecasts. And again, as you say, they've been having this big debate in the states, you know, maybe a quarter point bump. And they're now, you know, maybe maybe December, probably pushing out to March. But that picture hasn't changed. I mean, those numbers coming out for their third quarter uh, growth is, you know, it's been anemic. Let's just say there was some reason for it, like, you know, uh, inventory build and the drawdown, that kind of stuff. But still, it's there's nothing approaching robust growth. No, we always hear about how great the underlying trend is, but every quarter, or most quarters, is, well, there was some special factor that held us back, and those special factors yes. seem to be endless. 
you know, we're in a 2% growth environment in the U.S., and we're probably in a 1% to 1.5% growth environment in Canada for the foreseeable future. And that's not an environment that's inflationary. It's actually a deflationary type of environment with the debt overhang. And it's an environment where interest rates aren't going to go up much for the next five years or longer. Uh, and again, a huge challenge there. If I mean, if Canadian rates are sort of flat to maybe even going down, U.S. rates, not much there. Again, that huge challenge for investors is where do they find yield? I'm talking with John Johnson. He's the chief strategist for Davis Ray. I'll come back. We'll talk more about that and the equity markets, implications for you as an investor. And I've got to come to that Canadian dollar. All of that coming your way on Money Talks. My Goofy Awards today feature the biggest jerk in America. I'll let you decide for that. And it's a double header and incredible double standard when it comes uh, to media coverage. I'll do that, as I say, before we're done here today in the Goofy Awards. Right now, though, I'm very pleased to have with me John Johnson, Chief Strategist, Davis Ray. John, before we go further into this uh, specifics of the portfolio, we've established one thing. You're looking for a slower growth environment or a slow growth environment. You're looking for uh, interest rates, no upward pressure there. Let me come to the Canadian dollar. Uh, Your record on that has been exceptional, especially, again, versus the consensus. It is not easy to sit there with the Canadian dollar above par, as you told us on this this show, and you said not only is it going down, I'm looking at a 70-cent dollar going forward. That's not, that's right now, hey, oh, okay, but that is not an easy call uh, when you're making it back at that time. We couldn't have agreed more on this show with that, and I think it's been great financial advice, and we're in a business to be right. You were right on that. I wanted an update on the Canadian dollar. Well, I have to admit, I'm quite surprised at how quickly we got into the 70 cent range. But that being said, um, I think if we look at break it out for the longer term. Uh, I've adjust- when I made that forecast, it was a 10-year forecast. Uh, that was two and a half years ago. So I've adjusted that long-term forecast downward. So my seven and a half year target now, which would be like 2023, is now 55 cents. I think at the end of the day, the Canadian dollar in the long run has to be below where it was in 2002 because we have more problems than we did when I made the 70 cent call. The, the household debt problem is bigger. Uh, governments are probably further away than uh, they were back then, recognizing that there are problems. Uh, Our problems with innovation and productivity are worse. Uh, Our export capacity has been destroyed. And uh, the U.S. dollar is now in a secular bull market. It may get interrupted here and there, but uh, the the longer-term forces at play tell me the Canadian dollar has to be weaker. Uh, My sense, though, is over the next few months is that after the sharp sell-off in commodities, after the sharp sell-off, uh, that we saw in equities and in, in, in the Canadian dollar, we're going to get a bit of a you know a, a one to three to four month rebound in the thing. And I have been thinking for the last two or three months that the next five cent move in the Canadian dollar is up towards eighty cents, and, and then we kind of resume the long term downtrend. You have that cyclical variation within the long term declining path, and I think that's where the environment we're in. And I think that you know, over the next couple of months where you, where I think we're going to see an intermediate rally in equities and, you know, lining up with the seasonal trade, with the Christmas rally and all that stuff into the early part of next year, I think we'll see the Canadian dollar go up. My sense, though, is, is that any rally still in the Canadian dollar uh, and any rally in Canadian asset prices is an opportunity to reallocate more money outside of Canada towards the U.S. and other global markets where uh, the bigger themes like healthcare, consumers, uh, are playing out in a, in a more effective and investor-friendly um, manner. Well, I want to come back to something there because obviously it's been uh, 
you know, as you say, we've been toying around with the idea that we'd come back and test that 63. We'd have to get to 70, then come back down to 63. So that's why I'm fascinated here. You think we might break that low that we were trading in uh, going back, you know, several years and see a much lower number than that because 55 is, is, uh, is a neon sign flashing at me. Oh, it is. You know, just think about it. Uh, in 2002, we got down to 62 cents or, you know, slightly below that, but I'm rounding. Uh, I never thought we'd get down there uh, unless Quebec separated and the country started to fracture. Yet the country stayed together and the, the darn thing still went down there. And then we went in a, a period of, of, of five years, we went from that 62 cent level up to 110, cent, 110 cents, the modern era high in the Canadian dollar, uh, you know, the post-1900 high. And uh, nobody ever believed that. And I think that move destroyed so much capacity uh, and uh, export capacity in the Canadian economy. It's going to take a decade to get it back. And I think that alone kind of tells me that the Canadian dollar really has to get down to a low level and stay there on top of the fact that we're not competitive. You know, the other thing is that, you know, people should understand. I actually did a business comment on this the other day, and I said, look, I, I really get when I start talking economics and finance. My, my own personal experience is that people completely gloss over. They don't care about these subjects. We just went through a federal election where they said it was going to be about economics. I didn't sense any of that. It wasn't about good economics. It was certainly, you know, it just turned out to be, again, what's in it for me kind of economics. Uh, but... You know, this is, it has such a profound impact if your currency drops, and I don't see any way that's good for individual consumers. It can be good for exporters on the whole. You've put your country on sale. Uh, it'll boost asset prices probably in Canadian dollar terms over time, you know, as people rush in and purchase at least uh, maybe a primary real estate property, for example. But low currencies has never been the way to go to prosperity. I mean, nobody's ever devalued their way to, uh, to Nirvana. No, uh, it's... You know, in Canada, the Canadian, the long movements in the Canadian dollar are largely linked to commodity price. So, you know, it does help reallocate and rebuild the economy mm-hmm. in parts. And we have, we're stuck in this cycle because of our commodity intensity, and that's nobody's fault. That's just the nature of the way things are. Uh, but businesses didn't take advantage of the strong Canadian dollar to do a lot of capital investment and become more innovative. Uh, you know, the, the OEC, uh, you know, after a period where it was really important for Canadian businesses to invest. Governments did a little to help them by cutting profit, corporate profit taxes and stuff like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that they didn't do enough. There's still a lot of impediments. And, you know, Canada's part of what the OECD calls the new mediocre in innovation. Now, you know, mm-hmm. we can't compete with Mexico. We can't compete with the United States. So the only way we're going to compete was for the next 10 years or so is with a really cheap Canadian dollar. And if we start deliberately devaluing it, like a lot of those basket case uh Latin American countries do, then we're really cooked. Well, the other thing, as I say, I want to come back to something just because I I was so appalled by the caliber of economic discussion during the federal election. Uh, One of my themes, and it's not John Johnson's, it's mine, uh, is that I, I just absolutely sit there shocked at how complacent we are about economic growth, that we continue to put in policies at all three levels of government that are anti-economic growth. They say may talk the right thing. Oh, let's have jobs. Let's diversify the economy. Oh, and by the way, I'm raising business taxes. I'm raising payroll taxes, which are the antithesis of those. I just seriously, because I think things are at such pivotal time um, economically throughout the world, we're at a critical stage. We just can't afford that kind of nonsense any longer. 
No, uh, I think what we need to have is a broad-based discussion about the tax system. Uh, Mike Absolutely. Wilson, the former finance minister, was on TV the morning after the election. And he said, you know, every once in a while you need a big tax reform to get rid of all the little things that get put in there. You know, it, I heard one of the part. The, the, you know, the former government talked about low taxes. You know, low taxes are fine, but they have to be efficient, too. We're in a globally competitive environment, and our tax system has to be efficient. Uh, on every front, and cutting Absolutely. the GST uh, rather than cutting income taxes, uh, I thought was a terrible mistake. And all those silly um, tax credits, also, you know, not part yep. of an efficient tax system. We have a lot of work to do at all levels of government to 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 create the environment for business to thrive. And Canadian businesses also have to step up to the plate. We certainly seem to have a a lack of entrepreneurialism in this country, certainly vis-a-vis the U.S. Uh, and I've always hoped that a lot of the new immigrants who seem to be more entrepreneurial mm-hmm. than us native-born Canadians uh, would help that along, and I'm still hopeful that it will happen eventually, but we have a lot of work to do, and there's no discussion in the public domain Absolutely. outside of, you know, people like Don Drummond uh, has written a great report on things Canada can do. Uh, Robin Bodeway, formerly a public finance guy at Queen's, has written a great proposal on things to do with the corporate tax system. You know, I stumbled across them on the Internet. They don't get any press, and these things are just chock full of goodies that will help Canada do very well that will benefit everybody going forward. And one of the things I've learned in going across and talking to investors and corporates in Canada in my career is that people don't want to hear bad news. If you say, I don't think things are going to work out, they get mad at you first, Mm -hmm. and then you're not being patriotic, you're talking down Canada Why do you have to be so pessimistic? Like from an investment perspective, if you're pessimistic on Canada, which I am deeply, that tells us there's just lots of opportunities elsewhere. I'm very optimistic for Canadians investing abroad at how how well they can do over the next decade and how many huge opportunities there are for investors. The sad thing is for people who don't have money to invest and depend on the Canadian economy for all their income, it's going to be tough for them. But we as investors have huge opportunities. But well, I got to leave it at that, John. Sorry, I got to leave it at that. This is to be continued with John Johnson. He's the chief strategist, Davis Ray. Great stuff, John. Many thanks. Happy Halloween. You too. Thank you. Hey, if you go down to the states on a regular basis, uh, maybe you've got a home down there, a winter place. Big Brother has a new view on you. Big Brother U.S. We're going to tell you about that in just a minute with Ozzy Jurek. But first off, allow me just a personal note here. Uh, fascinating to hear what John Johnson had to say, uh, especially the prognostication of a Canadian dollar at the 55-cent level. But what he had to say is the best advertising I can think of for Money Talks. I mean, it should be obvious that we're not living in a business-as-usual environment, despite what virtually every media commentator, every politician suggests. That was my big complaint about the federal election. We pretend, I mean, my gosh, everything said could have been lifted from the playbook 20 years ago. That's not the world we're looking at right now. And I don't know any other media show that actually brings that forward. Whether we've had, like, the correct prediction on this show of the massive decline in oil, commodities, gold, the dollar our emphasis on buying quality yield because interest rates weren't going up. I mean, my plaintive cry has been, it's not business as usual. That's all I wanted people to see so they could know that their approach to finance, our approach to the economy, and our approach to politics is incorrect. There are going to be tons of losers in the coming decade. My apologies to people with me today in Calgary and Edmonton. You're going to be one of them. 
because your government fails to understand it's a new game. They are still playing an old economic slash political game. That's what we're seeing throughout our country. There's only going to be a few winners here. And there's only a few because people don't recognize the environment's changed. Our goal is to make sure you're in the winning group. And if you think that's tough to understand, ask yourself, did you predict those things that have taken place that I just alluded to? Or here's another one for you, and it leads to my shocking stat of the week. Negative interest rates are, seem to be beyond the comprehension of many, many people. This week, for example, Italy successfully sold a two-year bond that promised, government bond, that promised you give us 10000 a day, we will give you $9,950 when it matures in two years' time. Negative interest rates. Of course, it's not just Italy. I was counting the other day. I think there's nine countries who've issued government bonds that have negative yield. And if that is confusing, I'm saying, great, I understand that. But don't think your other take on the rest of what's going on is accurate then. Because there's so many aspects of this. First of all, negative interest rates are incredibly deflationary. That's a huge problem going forward for debt. Because asset prices drop in deflation. Here's the other one. Record low interest rates haven't spurred increased consumption. Wasn't that the deal? We're going to get interest rates down at record lows. You know, people run out and buy. Well, that's proven to be incorrect. Other variables are more dominant. In fact, some interesting research I read this week was that, in fact, it may be encouraging people to not spend. Why? Because they're now worried about their retirement. And I'll just pick numbers out of the hat. But let's say they thought $500,000 was enough for retirement. Why? Because it was 10% interest. They get $50,000 a year. Well, now they know $500,000 yields them, what, $5,000 a year. So they know they need to actually save more. So those record low rates may be encouraging people to save and not spend. The opposite of what central bankers felt. And speaking of retirement, negative interest rates are a killer for pensions. And there's going to be a monster problem coming forward. We've already had the implications of that. So, to my shocking stat, $3,744,000,000,000 worth of negative yield bonds have been issued in Europe. Three tri- I mean, a number so big, it's beyond comprehension for most of us. That's close to about two years' worth of Canada's total economic output, total GDP. $3,744,000,000,000 worth of negative yield bonds are out there. There is a massive message in this, and yet we continue to pretend it's business as usual. And speaking of change, Ozzy Jurek's going to be here in just one moment to tell us about a major change if you own property down in the States or thinking about doing it. Also, I've got Victor Dare live from the trading desk, and i got a doubleheader on the Goofy Award. And one more thing. You can start getting tickets for the World Outlook Conference today. You can go on to www.moneytalks.net, click on the World Outlook Conference. We've got the early bird ticket discount going today, $700 worth of premiums also involved with that. But talk about an investment that made people's money back several times over. Well, the ticket window is open today. We sold out last year. It is coming at the end of January, so get your tickets today. I'll give you more details in a minute. But first, Ozzy Jurek across the Chorus Radio Network. Just a quick note, let you know that the World Outlook Conference is January 29th and 30th. It's in Vancouver at the Western Bayshore. Uh, the early bird tickets are available right now with the discount. 
Uh, and we've also got, by the way, coming from out of town, we've got a great rated hotel. Make sure you talk about that. It's the best rate they have ever offered. And plus, there's $1,700 worth of bonus material for VIP ticket purchasers. Um, also, a great afternoon, Friday afternoon. It's a new thing we're doing, and it's getting hosted by Aussie Jurek. It's real estate investing with Aussie Jurek, a whole program there. This is going to be good. Your early bird tickets are available now, January 29th and 30th. I just want you to go to moneytalks.net, and you just click on the events. You'll see the World Outlook Conference 2016. I mentioned right at the top of the show one of the big themes that we put forward on Money Talks that you do not hear in the mainstream media is the problems for government are financial. Hence, you are going to see a desperation to raise money every time you say, hey, I want new programs. You're not going to get new programs. It is all about protecting the status quo. The numbers are very clear. We just saw it out of the Alberta budget where 80 cents out of every new dollar of revenue raised is going to go to public sector compensation. That's the status quo. Well, there's something new also when it comes to real estate. Ozzy Jurek joins me right now. Ozzy, you know, I've, I've just been reading about this at the Canada Revenue Agency and Employment and Social Development Canada, whatever their name is. But what they're doing is they're using a sophisticated new U.S.-Canada border tracking system to nail snowbirds who overstay their welcome in the U.S. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It, it really, the system was supposed to catch terrorists and other criminals, but it now accurately tracks us Canadians. You know, they know exactly which country we have been in and for exactly how long. And that's very important from the government's point of view. I, I mean, what kills me, though, is, I mean, come on, there's not a lot of Canadian terrorists out there, you know, and that that I think is what again, just to me, testifies to the fact how desperate they are. They're looking for money, not terrorists. Exactly. It's they wanna, uh, the, the, the words are, we want to prevent abuse and eligibility fraud with respect to employment insurance, OGH security and child tax benefits. But the reality is, Mike, they estimate have already saved over five years some $48 million. And the clearer the system is and the more it catches us unsuspecting snowbirds uh, or other countries for that matter, uh, the, the more money they'll make. Now, I'll tell people to go to your website to get the details, because but this is the important part here, is that there are really severe penalties, as far as I know. You know, like, don't mess with these regulations. Yeah, and, and you know, we always think we're such good friends. Well, in that regard, we are not, because if you travel to the U.S. and you're there for more than 180 days, and, Mike, this is very important, it's 180 days in a rolling 12-month period. Most people think, and I certainly thought, it would be January to December. No, it's a rolling 12-month period. So you could be off-center if you just spent December and November, and then you think, oh, I got sick the first six months. No, you're not off-center. So it's the rolling 180 days. Uh, no, it's, it's 180 days in a, in a rolling 12-month period. Penalty is three-year travel ban and a 10-year travel ban if you're staying longer than a full year. But the real kicker is that if you stay too long, U.S. might simply say, we treat you now as a U.S. citizen, and now you're taxed on your worldwide income. And if that wasn't enough, the Canadian government says, well, you're no longer a resident of Canada either. You you're now have a liability, and you get a Canadian departure tax. You're deemed to have disposed of all your assets, and now you've got to pay tax on that gain. So that would be in, in the worst-case scenario, that if you overstate your your period of 180 days you'll be at risk for that of course you might also lose provincial health care benefits depending on what the rules are in your health uh, 
health plan for each province is slightly different. So if you want to stay more than 180 days, think twice. Well, and I want to come back just very quickly to say it's a, I'm really glad you're bringing this forward. It's a very important subject and one Canadian should be absolutely aware of. But I'll tell you, in a nutshell, you don't want to mess with the IRS. They are so desperate for money. Look at what their political scandals are all about. I mean, no one is going to challenge those people. Uh, it's been completely politicized and money is the key thing. And as I say, I appreciate you bringing it forward today, Ozzy. Uh, and we'll talk more about this because I think it's that important. Uh, let's go to hot property. Yeah, we've got a few out-of-towners. There's a great property in Penda Harbor. It's a one-acre private waterfront. It's on at 629,000. That's 250 feet of beachfront, one of the few sandy beaches on the Sunshine Coast. And further away in Soda Creek, which is about 30 minutes west of Williams Lake, there's two single riverfront lots, each three and a half acres, and they're on for 35,000. And there's a new Hazelton Log Home Restaurant Building Land Business Inventory Turnkey it was actually rated the best eating place by TripAdvisor. This one is only on for 199000 And then there's a three-acre lakefront at Nimpo Lake, which is three hours west of Williams Lake. And that's like new, uh, the 1,500-square-foot home. And that's on at uh, 225000 So we have some out-of-town properties that look really good to us. And again, you know, as, as Ozzy says, he looks at these and, hey, these are worth a second look. And you can go and get more details by going to juric.com and click on the Hot Properties button. Ozzy, as I say, we're going to talk a lot more about what it means for Canadians uh, to be going across the border, uh, especially if you're a snowbird. You've got a place down there, whether you rent or whether you own. Huge implications for this move, because I think you're the beginning of a very important trend here uh, when it comes to unlawfully staying more than your hundred. 180 days on a rolling period in the states as i say much more to talk about ozzy thanks very much thanks for having me mike have a great and, halloween and by the way when you knock on ozzy's door trick-or-treating today he's the guy in wooden shoes and later hosen it's a hell of a combination he does it once a year uh, and he's got one of those really skin tight shirts all of that great stuff <laughs> as he hands out bratwurst on halloween thanks ozzy thanks for having me <laughs> Take a break. I'll come back live from the trading desk, plus a double-header goofy picture there in a moment. Just a reminder, World Outlook Conference is January 29th and 30th. Early bird tickets are available now. Track record is absolutely exceptional. And I'll tell you, listening to John Johnson, which you can do if you'd missed it, go back to moneytalks.net and you can click on the interview. You also get the daily business comment there. I can't emphasize enough that it is not business as usual. You have to prepare yourself. You're certainly not going to get help, really, from the mainstream media. You're not going to get help uh, from your politicians. They've just proven that in spades. And I'm telling you, and uh, our track record has been exceptional here, You, there is going to be a ton of people in trouble out of this. You don't have to be one of them. Also, there's some great articles, by the way, on moneytalks.net, one by Larry Edelson giving you its timing for gold. Doug Casey is giving you the uh, top five questions he gets asked, and he answers them. Victor Dare joins me right now live from the trading desk. Uh, Victor, so much to talk about every week, but again, we're back to that theme, and it's great that uh, you've been correct, but it's still that theme. Uh, The markets are absolutely staring at what central banks are doing. Yeah, I think the markets are very focused on what I would call the perception of the divergence between different central bank policies. Okay, so put that in plain, simple language. The market thinks that the Federal Reserve is more likely to increase rates, while other central banks are more likely to decrease rates. 
broad broad stroke certainly but that's kind of the mood in the market particularly this week after the federal reserve had their meeting and when the market was reading the tea leaves of what they had to say the sentiment in the market swung to believing that the federal reserve will jack up interest rates by one quarter of one percent in december and all hell break loose um, <laughs> i mean the u.s dollar is up about five percent from the lows that we had in the middle of October, the U.S. dollar chart shows a very rare monthly key reversal higher, which is usually an indication that the market's going to go higher. So uh, long and short of it, in, as far as the currency markets are concerned, the activity or the perceptions of what's going to be happening in the central banks mean you buy the U.S. dollar. Uh, again, interesting to hear John Johnson on that. And, of course, a reminder that we have short-term moves and we have the long-term trend that reasserts itself. And fascinating to hear John Johnson say, hey, that that's certainly not even close to over, that dominant U.S. dollar theme that you've been talking about really since October of 2012. Yeah, sure. And I, I do look at the currency charts going back into the 1970s when we uh, – called it freed up the trading of currency markets around the world and we've had some big swings where the u.s dollar's been up some big swings where the u.s dollar's been down i believe we started a swing up four years ago 2011 i think it's got more to go but on my short-term trading you know i started this past week i was short of canadian dollars i'd added to that position i was short of uh, crude oil i'd added to that and short of gold this week just kind of on traders intuition or whatever you want to call it I flattened out my short Canada position. I really reduced the size of my short crude oil position, and I stayed with my short gold position. And very interesting to hear John Johnson say that he is is of the view, yes, we'll go to below 60 cents on Canadian dollar in the long term, but in the next few months here we might have a rally of 5 cents or so. I've got to say I feel something like that myself, but... You know that with my short-term trading accounts, I'm very much just looking at what the mood of the market is, and I'm in the trade for a short period of time. And if it goes against me, I, I'm out of it. But right at the moment, I'm flat in my short-term trading accounts in Canadian dollars. Well, we'll keep a close eye on that. Obviously, there's so much more action to come. Every week brings this sort of renewed level of volatility that creates opportunities for people like yourself, Vic, who look for trading opportunities. Uh, uh, Still an incredible environment here. Many thanks for taking the time. I know you've got to get ready for (laughs) trick-or-treating. Yes, I do. Okay, here's my... Victor Adair here, live from the trading desk. Hey, my thanks to Victor, of course. My thanks to Michael Levy. My thanks to John Johnston. And, of course, Aussie Jerk. Some very interesting stuff. Again, go back to moneytalks.net if you miss any of it. I think it's important times uh, just really being brought forward here. Uh, Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club, by the way. Solera Club is a tech field investment. They look at the tech industry, but this is royalty-based, which means you are paid first. And secondly, there are no fees. So get more information by going to soleraclub.com. Two goofy awards today. The first, and you can see it right now on the website, is this guy the biggest jerk in America? Now, in case you miss this one, what kind of a jerk steals a souvenir puck from a little boy? As I say, you can go to moneytalks.net. we got the video up right now of this. Uh, Dan Bilsma coached the Pittsburgh Penguins for six years. 
before he being let go at the end of the 2013-2014 season. He now coaches the Buffalo Sabres. So he's in his first trip back to Pittsburgh, gets a nice ovation, etc. While at point there in the game, a puck comes into the bench. He takes the puck. He tosses it over the glass for a little boy who's in the aisle. He waves him down to throw it to this little boy. Some jerk guy, I don't know how old he is, 50 years old, stands in and grabs the puck before the kid has a chance to get it. I mean, come on. What kind of a guy does that? Well, the biggest jerk in America. By the way, Belsma didn't let that happen. He went and got an autographed Sidney Crosby jersey was given to the little guy. But come on. Go have a look at this. As I say, got two goofies today. Here's the other one. Absolutely blown away by the blatant double standard when it comes to the media coverage of PM-elect Justin Trudeau. I want to be crystal clear. I'm not criticizing Mr. Trudeau. No, this is a criticism of the media coverage. I'm shocked, actually, at how many reports came out about how good-looking or sexy he is. Daily Mirror, CBC, Geraldo Rivera, ABC News Australia, South Morning China, Morning Post, Huffington Post, Daily Mail. That list went on. But my point was, can you imagine if they had done the same thing with a female leader that this sort of sexually charged analysis my bet is the same publication who just did this with Mr. Trudeau's looks and sex appeal would be front and center with their outrage. And I thought, what an incredible double standard. And there hasn't been a peep about it. That's why it gets my Goofy Award. Hey, go out, have a wonderful Halloween. Remember, you can get the daily business comments, review anything you hear here, and my interview of the week. All of that on moneytalks.net. Happy Halloween.